Have you heard the openly gay, the proudly gay pro-abortion mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who claims to be a committed Christian, claims that Donald Trump and Vice President Pence are hypocritical Christians. What? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, friends, I'm always honest with you. I always share my heart. What you see is what you get. But I really want to open my heart to you. I, I really want to talk heart to heart, face to face in that sense, and, and share my vision, my burden as your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. And I do want to weigh in on the comments of South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. I may not be pronouncing his name correctly. I see all this in writing and don't hear it actually pronounced. But I want to talk about his comments. Here he is. Uh, we're, we're told by the fawning media because he's the new guy. We're told that he's a devout Christian, that he stands out from other candidates and being so pro-Christian and yet bashes evangelicals, bashes the pro-life side and bashes those who voted for Donald Trump, along with Donald Trump and Mike Pence as well, as being hypocritical. So we'll talk about that. I'll, I'll let you hear some of his own words. If you have a question of any kind, 866-348-7884. If you'd like to talk to me about the end times or other related issues, the culture, Bible theology, 866 348 7884 is number to call. And for everyone watching on our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown, or anyone who can be watching an hour from now, we are going to do another live chat. We did one Friday afternoon, had a great time after a radio show was done. We're going to do that again today, roughly 405 to 435 Eastern Standard Time. So if you're unable to call in, that's a great opportunity to post a question and to interact via YouTube chat. I just noticed a comment before I share my heart, before I give you some of my perspective. I just noticed a comment that was posted to one of our videos where we were taking calls from those who held to a pre-trip rapture, which I don't, but we don't differ. Uh, we don't divide over that. And we work together in the Lord in the midst of our differences. And a fellow named James posted this. If post-trib Christians are so dogmatic about going through the Great Tribulation, then who's stopping you from purchasing an orange jumpsuit and go to Syria and offer yourselves as martyrs and get your heads chopped off? Do it now. Put your money with your mouth is if you believe in post-trib so much. That's really one of the more idiotic comments that I've read. First, this is not my agenda. I don't have a thing that I want to go through the tribulation or if there's a seven-year tribulation with a, a horrific antichrist, I want to go through that. Is that what I want or I don't want to go through it? It's What does the word say? That's the issue first. What does the word say? Secondly, I might say, well, if you believe in pre-trib so much, why not jump out of a building and hope Jesus will catch you? I mean, it's just as off point and unrelated to reality. But here's the deal. James, we are putting our money where about this. 
we and believers around the world are obeying the Lord and standing for righteousness, come what may. And our brothers and sisters who have been slaughtered for the faith in the last year or in the last day, who have been beheaded, who have been tortured to death, who have been buried alive, who've been thrown in prison to rot and die there, who've been kidnapped, who've been raped because they wouldn't deny Jesus, happening on a regular basis all around the world, they're putting their money where their mouth is and saying, whether you rescue us or not, Lord, we're going to follow you. So James, rather than posting a comment like that, why not find out what we really believe? Why not find out what the word really says? And then we can have a fruitful dialogue about it. And if we differ, we differ. All right. I am going to confess to a frustration. I see blatant falsehoods, blatant falsehoods posted constantly online. It's, it's not like before the days of social media where you couldn't get your opinion out for everybody to hear it. it. It wasn't like before where unless someone said it to your face, you wouldn't be aware of it. Unless it made its way into a newspaper or a book or something like that, you wouldn't be aware of it. So because I'm on social media a lot, because I'm posting things, making comments, trying to interact with people and be helpful, on a regular basis, I see blatant falsehoods posted. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about having a legitimate difference with someone over the interpretation of a verse. I'm not talking about Muslims believe this, Hindus believe this, traditional Jews believe this, Roman Catholics believe this, Protestants believe this, and we have our differences depending on where we, we find ourselves. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone posting, mathematicians have now determined that two plus two equals five. I'm talking the flat earth type of stuff. I'm talking the information that's misinformation. Oh, do you know the Talmud really teaches this when it doesn't? I'm talking about stuff that is a blatant falsehood, not a matter of interpretation, a blatant falsehood. And my frustration is I want to correct it. My frustration is I, I immediately want to set the record straight. Not a pride thing, not, not a personal thing, because it's not an attack on me. It's an attack on me. Then I can rejoice because it's for the gospel. And if someone's really searching, I can try to reach out and help them. But I'm talking about falsehoods. And then other people will retreat, retweet or share or repeat. And, and you'll see the same myth circulating. And in fact, you can often recognize an internet myth because everybody uses the same language or something that, that picked up somebody's meme somewhere, some saying somewhere. When God started to burden me about the hypergrace error, I began to see certain words like behavior modification and sin management, words I'd not seen a lot before, but then everybody had seen was quoting them. And they were advocating hypergrace. Well, I was able to trace those words back to one particular author. Then it just became the word that everybody repeats. I mean, the media does it with whatever the latest talking points are. You know, sometimes I've heard, say, a Rush Limbaugh piece where he will say, hey, the, I want you to know what the talking points are on this, that the, the media are all saying the same thing. And it's a collage and it's 20 different networks and, and, and 30 different talking heads. And they're all saying almost the identical words. Just that's, that's the news. That's what you say. That's what's out there. Well, I, I see the exact same thing with spiritual things. 
the exact same thing with biblical issues, with cultural issues. And people just repeat the same stuff over and over. And it frustrates me in the natural because I want to fix it. I want to correct it. I want to answer, not to win a debate, but for the sake of truth. And God has to remind me, number one, I'm not his policeman. He did not appoint me here on the earth to fix everything. And obviously I'm not perfect either. And, and then the other reminder, there's always going to be error. One guy posted this in response that he heard from a, a pastor once that the pastor that he felt, I think that, that the Lord gave him this image either way that, or the thought came to his mind, but he's, he's running a race and people in the stands are yelling at him and criticizing him. And he had to make a choice. Are you going to run your race? Or are you going to stop and interact with the people in the stands? Reinhard Bonnke said, my answer to the critics is my next gospel crusade. <laughs> You're going to criticize. I'm going to preach Jesus and win the lost. So, Sometimes it does fall on us to correct. And I'll write whole books on issues and I'll spend months or years researching things when there's a major error that needs to be addressed. And throughout the New Testament, there is correction. Throughout the New Testament, things are set in order. But Paul certainly didn't think, I'm going to fix everything in the church and the whole world. And, and you can't take that on and I can't take that on. So I just want to encourage you. If you get frustrated the same way I do, if you get burdened the same way I do, if you get concerned the same way I do, if you want to fix everything and you can't, give it over to the Lord and find out, Lord, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to be doing? Where should I give my time and energy? There's a great lesson from the prophet Ezekiel. In the third chapter of his book, he's seen the glory of God. He's sitting among the exiles. He's absolutely devastated. Doesn't speak for seven days. And then God says to him that he's going to restrain his tongue, that Ezekiel will not be a rebuker, a reprover of the people, even though they are so sinful, or depending how we translate the Hebrew word key, because they are so sinful. In other words, God's saying, Ezekiel, in yourself, now that you've seen my glory and you recognize the sinfulness of your people in exile, all you'd be doing all day long is rebuking them. This is wrong. This is wrong. Repent of your idolatry. Repent of your morality. Repent of your injustice. Repent of this and repent of that. And it would be a constant, constant flood of Ezekiel saying, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And God said, because the people are so sinful, or even though they're so sinful, I'm going to restrain your tongue. So you'll only be able to speak when I speak through you. And, and we need to do the same thing. Lord, when is it time to speak? When should I share my opinion? When should I offer correction? When should I address an issue? And when should I keep silent? Years ago, when I started teaching in a Bible school in Long Island in the 1980s, I was visiting a church service on a Wednesday night, and there was a woman speaking. Well, some of you have a problem with that already, but let's say you don't. She was certainly under the pastor's authority. Either way, there's a woman speaking, and she kept making biblical errors. They were minor. They were minor, but having things in wrong chapters, having a wrong recollection of a detail. And, and I, would, I, I saw a guy in front of me taking notes, copiously taking notes, and I was really frustrated because I wanted to, but, hey, buddy, stop taking notes. It's like half the stuff is wrong. That's what I was thinking. But as she continued speaking, I sensed the Holy Spirit moving 
among the people. And her overall message was a great message. The overall message she was conveying was excellent. That would have been better that she didn't make those other errors. But they didn't detract from the overall message. And right then, the, the Lord reminded me, all over America right now on Wednesday nights, Wednesday night services all over America, things are being taught that are not perfectly accurate. And books are being published and, and being read that are not perfectly accurate. And you can't fix everything. And it was a relief for me. Listen, I still get burdened. I still want to correct small things. And when it's right to do it, you do it. You still interact as much as you can. And, and with grace, try to help people go in the right direction. But leave the final burden to the Lord. We cannot fix everything. I, I trust that wasn't just me opening my heart. There's a lot more I, I want to share with you. But I trust that was for some of you listening and watching as well. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, all of my dear friends in the greater North Carolina area, I'm going to be participating in two special events this week. It's really interesting. I've got a stretch of all my speaking ministry is local, like a three-week period. It just... It's so odd. It's back to back to back to back. So two special events this week, beginning Thursday night. There is going to be a special Israel conference, Together for Israel conference in Kannapolis with Scott Volk, Bob Gladstone, Daniel Kalenda, and yours truly. There'll be a Passover Seder Thursday night. They'll be preaching and worship Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I'll be speaking Saturday morning and Thursday night as well. And then Saturday afternoon, I'll be speaking at Southern Evangelical Seminary together with Dr. Richard Land on holy sexuality, dealing with some of the most controversial issues of sexuality today, the church and homosexuality, the church and transgenderism. Dr. Land is brilliant. He'll be speaking. Others will be speaking. That's Saturday afternoon at Southern Evangelical Seminary. So to find out more, Go to my website, askdrbrown, askdrbrown.org, and just click on itinerary, askdrbrown.org, click on itinerary. I do want to weigh in in a moment about the comments, increasing number of comments from South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, we'll call him, and that's what he's also called, so we'll call him that in case I'm mispronouncing his last name, but uh, let me grab a call. And then we'll get back to the culture today. Uh, Kelly in North Carolina, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you. Uh, I just want to, um, I had a few questions. I read your latest book and I really love it. Um, the Not Afraid of the Antichrist. Yes. Um, I'm, I believe in post-trib too. So, But I was raised in a pre-tribulation rapture church. And that's pretty much all you can find around here. But I have a question. Whenever I never read the, um, I don't know what you call this, you know, in the very beginning of the book, it tells where different um, versions that were used and different things like that. But yeah, uh -huh. I wanted my pastor to read it. <clears throat> I wanted to read it and get, you know, just give me his thoughts because he's a pre-trib. Mm -hmm. And um, 
the next week when I seen him at church, he told me, he said, um, I said, did you read it? And he said, well, I read the first page. And um, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I stopped when I read, uh, it, it says all scripture translations, except where specified otherwise, are the author's own. And he said, nobody is supposed to privately interpret um, scripture. And so he wouldn't read it. So I just... Ooh, that's ooh, that's, that's a little scary, Kelly. I, I know he's your pastor, and you want to respect that. But that's... <laughs> first, first thing is, it's because of the, the love that we have for the scriptures that sometimes we translate our own. Craig Keener did that in, in particular. But that's, that's not what private interpretation is referring to. Private interpretation is, I'm going to determine how to understand the prophecy as opposed to trying to understand what God was saying. I'm going to be the one who determines what the prophecies mean. It's got nothing to do with translation. And every translation is done by individuals or committees. That, um, how, how many folks are in the church, Kelly? Uh, I don't even know, about 60, 70 maybe? Yeah, um, I, I just, just had a hunch in asking uh, that it wouldn't be a large number. Yeah, that's, that's really unfortunate. First, every verse we're dealing with, he could read in any translation he wants from the King James that's on. And, and it's exactly, yeah. in other words, there's not a single thing where our translation affects the overall meaning or argument. But he, sh- he should understand right. that, that uh, a translation is not a private interpretation. Private interpretation is I am oh. going to put my view on what a prophecy says and interpret it for myself. That's completely unrelated. So that's that's just a surprising statement to hear from a pastor. Well, I, th- I think what he meant was when he read this, he took it to mean where it says all scripture translations except where specified are the author's own. He's thinking that you're taking and saying this is your own opinion on, you know, Right. I mean, what he needs to know is Craig, Craig Keener is one of the most respected New Testament scholars on the planet. And it was actually Craig that translated a lot of the verses from the Greek. That's a bonus. In other words, that's saying we've taken this so seriously that rather than just quote any number of versions, we took the time to look at the original text and, and, and to translate it in a sensitive way. And now you can compare it with other translations. So if, if, if he won't get beyond that, well, let me just say this. I don't have a lot of hope that he's going to be open to the truth of what we present if he got stopped on the copyright page. So it may just be best to bless him, honor him, and, and leave it, you know, uh, not, not get, you know, just, just leave it there. Because, yeah. Because I read it and I took see. I, I do. We just do King James, but I. I didn't yeah, that was that was the other assumption because anyway. n- yeah, Kelly. And, let me uh, just say that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, the only person who will have an objection to that is a King James person. Everybody else welcomes that you're doing your best to to understand the text, you know. And you could ask, was the yeah, wasn't the King James the private interpretation of a bunch of translators, you know? Well, I took it and I. So, well, you know, I don't. I know he uses different versions, but I could take the King James and use, you know, whatever you reference, and just keep referencing it that way. And so, exactly, and it's bother. all going to be the same. It's all going to be the same. Yeah, I would just say, hey, that's his mentality. Those are his parameters. 
if he's a good pastor, loves the Lord, and it's a healthy church in other ways, great. If it's constricting and confining, that's that's another subject. But yeah, that's uh, I heard that from someone else. I actually heard that from someone else. It's, in other words, anyone like for me, if uh, when I, I one book I wrote, almost all the verses from the Old Testament I translated for myself, or, or the Book of Job, I did my own translation. I spent months and months working on it. I dug, I wrestled with the Hebrew. I wrestled with the meaning. I, I spent hours agonizing before God how to translate a single word here and there and what was the best way to do it because you realize this is, this is sacred text. But bottom line is right. when he gets up and preaches the Bible, he's giving his private interpretation every week. But he'll say, no, I'm trying to honor yeah. the Lord and do it in the God. I'd say you're giving your private interpretation, man. So in other words, we could throw that at each other and then nobody says a word. Nobody preaches, nobody does anything because that's just your private interpretation. So yeah, I, I it's unfortunate, yeah. but if he's, if he loves the Lord and is a devoted pastor, just, you know, just smile and, and keep going. Think the best? Well, yeah. what do you think? That, and I didn't have time to argue, but, and I wasn't going to, but what is the best um, verses to reference to, to kind of show him? I mean, cause I've, like well, so much, if he's out, just read know. through Second Thessalonians chapter one and two out mm-hmm. loud slowly. Second Thessalonians chapter one and two, and you'll see that mm-hmm. we get relief when Jesus comes in flaming fire, taking vengeance on right. those who don't know God, and that 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 we won't be gathered to Him until the Antichrist is revealed and the rebellion takes place. Right. So you can show him that, okay. you know, he'll say, but it says the restrainer has to be moved. So, yeah, well, where does it say the restrainer is the church, you know, and, and how are people going to be saved without the Holy Spirit? Cause that's what it'll say. The church has to be taken out. Holy Spirit has to be taken out. Well, how do people get saved right. then after that? The, the other, the other point, Kelly, is you could just read through Matthew 24. And there's, there's a video where I did this recently on our website where I just read through Matthew 24 verse by verse. And said, where's the preacher of rapture? Okay. Who's, isn't he talking to the same disciples the whole way through? And yet you either have to say, mm-hmm. no, it's all for Israel, or it's Israel, then it's the church here. And it just, it, it doesn't work. There's one coming. It's a public event. And that's when we're gathered that together. Was what, that's what he was telling. Well, he wasn't talking about that. But he told me, he said, you know, a lot of times people who believe in the post-trib, he said they believe they only use the Gospels. They don't use any of Paul's epistles to go by it. And I was like, well... Thinking, what no, we'll prove it all just like... for, we'll prove it all just from Paul and and say according to Paul what are we waiting for like second Timothy 4 eight we're waiting for his appearing his appearing this is yeah. a visible event yeah. that takes place for the world to see and then first Corinthians 15 51 and 52 first Corinthians 15 51 and 52 Jesus is coming for us at the last trumpet. And we know that there are trumpet blasts spoken of in Matthew 24 and Revelation 11 that refer to the Lord's public appearing for the whole world to see. That's the trumpet blast we're waiting for. But hey, otherwise, if, if you're at home in the church and he's a good pastor and you feel built up there and you can serve there, wonderful. If ultimately there's conflict over other issues, you know, there are plenty of places to go. The thing you always want to do is honor the leaders. If they see things differently, you, you submit your ideas and share them. If they differ, even if they're wrong, it's not our job to correct the leaders. It's our job then to 
as congregants just to go somewhere else. We're at home uh, and, and we can serve effectively. Hey, God bless you, Kelly. Thank you for the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we'll come back, take some more of your calls. And I, I want to weigh in on this issue of the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, calling President Trump, calling Vice President Pence, hypocritical Christians, those who voted for them hypocritical, whereas he is, quote, married to his same-sex partner and won't even speak out against late-term abortion. That's how strongly pro-choice he is. And yet, those who voted for Trump are the hypocrites. Hmm. Kind of like the the pot pulling the kettle black, except on steroids. Be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on today's broadcast, where by God's grace, we do our best on a daily basis and over the weekend via articles and social media. So seven days a week, we do our best to be your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity, to be your voice of moral cultural and spiritual revolution to help express the burden, the concern on your heart and God's heart to express it together as your voice. So you don't have to just be frustrated or upset. Maybe there's something you wish was said. Hopefully we're saying it and we're saying it in a way that honors the Lord and reaches other people. Hence serving as your voice. I've got more to share about that. 866- Three, four, truth is the number to call. All right. We are now in the early stages of the Democratic Party pulling together a large number of candidates, all of whom want to be the next president and oust President Trump. And the media will pick on one here and one there and make that person a favorite. The mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, is one now that the media is fawning over and he's the new one and he's going to be the man. And even though thus far in the polls, as of a week ago, he was, he was way, way, way behind, say, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. The fact is that he's become very popular and everyone talking about him. And what's interesting is he is now going to be the first openly gay presidential candidate. They're very forward with him and his same-sex partner, and as you'd expect for a Democratic candidate, is strongly pro-abortion. What sets him apart, though, is he claims to be a religious Christian and is calling out the Christian faith of others who would be on the right. So I wrote an article last night. It's getting a lot of attention today when a homosexual Episcopalian calls Trump's Christianity hypocritical. I have no problem if you question Donald Trump's Christianity. Now, God is his judge, ultimately, not you or me. But if you say, I don't see fruit of a born-again life, I don't see fruit of a true Christian there. I know he's taking good stands on many Christian issues, but I don't see the fruit there. I question it. Fine. A good friend of mine 
who's met with the president on a number of occasions, told me a few days ago, he said, I believe he really fears God. And I've never heard anyone speak as passionately about pro-life as he speaks about pro-life now when I've been on some conference calls, but conference calls, but I don't believe he's had a real conversion. I have no problem with someone questioning that. And I can understand why people say, well, how can he be a real Christian and this and this? Others say, no, he's a baby Christian. He's very new in the faith. He's growing. It's going to take some time. He's an older man, etc." Okay, I understand all that. My issue is someone who is a practicing homosexual, pro-abortion, won't even speak out against late-term abortion, taking stands against the president's Christianity and claiming to be a Christian himself. That's the height of hypocrisy. So uh, listen, listen to what he says. The left, he says, is rightly committed to a separation of church and state, but we need to not be afraid to invoke arguments that are convincing on why Christian faith is going to point you in a progressive direction. So he's saying, yeah, we should point to the Christian faith openly, have no problem doing it, but it's going to go progressive. In other words, liberal. In other words, contrary to conservative values and beliefs. And he criticizes right-wing Christians for, quote, saying so much about what Christ said so little about and so little about what he said so much about. When asked about Donald Trump, he said, I'm reluctant to comment on another person's faith, but I would say it's hard to look at this president's actions and believe that they're the actions of somebody who believes in God. I just don't understand how you can be as worshipful of your own self as he is and be prepared to humble yourself before God. I've never seen him humble himself before anyone. And the exaltation of yourself, especially the self that's about wealth and power, could not be more at odds with at least my understanding of the teachings of the Christian faith. Mr. Mayor, have you spent time with Donald Trump? Have you been around him with others when he's been very humble and very open and very teachable? And perhaps it's not just about wealth and power from perhaps he's doing what he's doing because he cares about America. Either way, isn't this a violation of Jesus saying not to judge? And since you are in blatant violation of the entire teaching of the Bible in terms of the meaning of marriage and in terms of homosexual practice and, and in terms of caring for the least of these, which begins in the womb, how is it then that you can do this so blatantly and violate what Jesus said that he calls us hypocrites and, and when, when we, we tell someone else, take the speck out of your eye, but we got a beam in our eye. So this is exactly what you are doing and you're calling out hypocrisy while walking in it. I urge you, take a look in the mirror and reconsider what Scripture does say. And, and, and listen to this. When he was asked about his favorite verse in the Bible, he says one of his favorite verses is where Jesus says, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. But, but when it comes to late-term abortion, okay, are you ready for this? When it comes to late-term abortion, he was asked, he said, when a woman is in that situation, extremely difficult, painful, often medically serious situations where life or health of the mother's at stake, involvement of a male government official like me is not helpful. So much for caring for the least of these. He wants to use verses like that and verses about helping the stranger to let illegal immigrants in. We're not just talking about legal immigrants and people in need, but illegal immigrants, let them in. And he's not willing to stand for babies in the womb. And he says one of his favorite verses is Jesus talking about caring for the least of these. Is that not beyond hypocrisy, friends? Oh, oh, there's more. He goes after evangelicals who voted for Trump, not realizing that many voted 
with concern and reluctance, but we were voting against Hillary Clinton. We were voting for the lives of the unborn. We were voting for religious liberties. We were voting to preserve marriage and family. We were voting for righteousness in Israel. And if Trump was the best man for the job, so be it. Oh, no, no, we're hypocrites now. We're hypocrites. And listen to what he says. He's talking openly about homosexual desires. And he says this, when I was younger, I would have done anything to not be gay. When I began to realize what it meant that I felt the way I did, I launched a kind of war inside of himself. And if that war had been settled on the terms that I wished for when I was 15 or 20 or 25, I would not be standing here. In other words, if he could have gotten out the same-sex attractions, he would have. He said, if you offered me a pill to make me straight, I would have swallowed it before you gave me time to sip of wa- have a sip of water. If, if you showed me exactly what it was inside me that made me gay, I would have cut it out with a knife. I appreciate his candor. I appreciate him saying honestly that he was not looking for this. I recognize his experience is the common experience of those who identify as gay or lesbian. I'm not claiming he just decided to be gay one day. I'm saying you can't throw the Bible out. You can't rewrite the Bible to to conform with your sexual desires and romantic attractions, no matter how deep-seated they may be. Then he says this, if I had had a chance to do that, I wouldn't have found my way to his, quote, husband, Chaston. The best thing in my life, my marriage, might not have happened at all. How dark the thought that the man I love might not have been part of my life at all. Thank God there was no pill. Thank God there was no knife. And then he says this, people talk about marriage equality is a moral issue, and it certainly is a moral issue as far as I'm concerned, because being married to Chaston has made me a better human being. Being married has made me more compassionate, more understanding, more self-aware, and more decent. My marriage to Chaston has made me a better man. And yes, Mr. Vice President, it has moved me closer to God. That, friends, is the power of deception. He and his partner might be very caring people. He and his partner might have helped each other grow in many ways as human beings. It doesn't mean they're not sinning in the sight of God. It doesn't mean they are trashing. It doesn't mean they're not trashing the meaning of marriage. And certainly it has not brought him closer to God if he believes God is affirming of same-sex, quote, marriage. There's not a verse in the Bible to support that. Every reference to marriage and family in the Bible presupposes heterosexual relations Every reference to homosexual practice is decidedly condemned. And the good news is, whether our feelings or desires change or not, all of us are offered forgiveness and new life in Jesus if we say no to ourselves and yes to God. So Mayor Pete, you may be very sincere and you and Chaston may really care for each other, but you cannot put your experience above the word of God. And I challenge you, if you care about the least of these Start with the babies in the womb. And I challenge you, before you call others hypocrites, sir, please look hard in the mirror. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to New York. Stephen, welcome to the line of fire. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Good afternoon. Uh, I got a question. I got a question about uh, the the end of uh, two particular verses and why one translation was chosen over another. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Matthew six twenty seven and Luke twelve twenty five. They they seem the modern translations seem to approve of the translation hour of life, and the uh, King James New King James uh, says cubit of height. I think. Yeah. I'm curious. Well, why is that uh, so different? Yeah, be, because the the Greek word. Whenever you see good translations and numbers of them dividing over an issue, 
that means that the Hebrew or Greek could be translated one or two different ways. So the, the Greek word helikia is, is the word in question. It can mean time of life or it can mean stature in, in terms of, of, of height or, or, or something like that. So can you add to your, what if I said, can you add anything to your person by worry? Well, what do I mean by add to your person? Do I mean add years of life, add possessions, add wisdom, add height, or what exactly do I mean? So this, the Greek word could be used either way, and, and there's a lot of attestation for it. It, uh, in ancient Greek literature and then in the Bible as well, that it could mean age or time of life. In other passages, it could mean stature. So it's simply a matter of, of the Greek word could be translated in two different ways. And overall, though, it, it's not anything to worry about in that, <laughs> you worry, Jesus is telling us you can't change reality and circumstances by worry. So you, you, you can't turn a hair black by worry. You can't add an hour to your life by worry. You can't uh, add a material possession by worry. You can't make yourself an inch taller by worry. So overall, the, the meaning is, is clearly the same. But general rule, sir, when you find good translations, I don't mean some cult translation, good translations, mainstream translations, and you find a number of them differing on the same verse, the same word, and one says this way, one says this way, it generally means that there is a translation issue where the word could easily be rendered one way or the other, and it's just a debate between scholars. And trust me, these are the kind of things when I was translating Job that I wrestled with by the hour. This way, this way, this way, or this way. And now editing the commentary, I'm re-wrestling with some of the verses and words. All right, thank you for the call, sir. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Oh, what, what a quote from Mayor Pete to Mike Pence. If you have a problem with who I am, your quarrel is with my creator. Well, so that means whatever desires, attractions we have, that that's how God made us. And that if you have a problem with who I am in any way, what if I'm an angry person? What if I'm a vengeful person? What if I'm a greedy person? What if I'm, what if I'm attracted to all kinds of wrong things? The whole society agrees is wrong and that's my, that's in my nature. So then the problem is with God, as opposed to, I need to deal with things in my nature. Wow. That's scary. 866-34-TRUTH. We'll go to Edgar in California. Welcome to the line of fire. Yes, how are you doing, Dr. Brown? Doing very well, thanks. God bless you. Um, I wanted to um, to ask in regards of um, the Ark of the Covenant. I have a, I have a big just a question. Um, we know that, that it is believed that Jeremiah the prophet could have hidden it and that after and before the uh, the uh, captivity with Babylon, um, but when I look at the New Testament, and we see that 
there was a high priest that was um, ordained at the time. There was uh, Zechariah was was one of the um, the um, he was in to do his ritual for the um, in the temple when he got the vision and he was left mute. Um, and um, so my biggest my question is, um, was the sacrificial sacrifice system in place during Jesus' time? Um, and would the Ark of the Covenant be in there? No, the, no. The Ark of the Covenant was lost after the Babylonian captivity. There, there. You know, are some traditions about what happened to it, but nothing verifiable. It's been lost to history. There's no historical record of Jeremiah having access to it or hiding it or anything like that. And in point of fact, uh, Jeremiah 3.16, when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land, in those days declared the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. So in point of fact, the ark of the covenant has been lost to history. If it's ever recovered, so be it but we have no guarantee that it will in this verse would suggest that it, that it won't. And in addition to that, sir, uh, the sacrificial system was in place and it was functioning right until the temple was destroyed in the year 70 AD. And the sacrificial system was proceeding as much as possible as ordained by God in in Torah uh, through those, uh, through those centuries, but without the Ark of the Covenant. So when the Jewish exiles returned in the five thirties from Babylon and rebuilt the temple, and reestablish the sacrificial system, etc. It was all done without the Ark of the Covenant, uh, without the, the Ten Commandments, the original Ten Commandments written on stone as well. I right, thank you, sir, for the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to... All right, we don't go there. Uh, Nima in California, welcome to the line of fire. Uh- Actually, Nina. Nina, okay. Um, oh, it's just a typo yeah. on my board here. Nina, thank That's you. okay. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, Dr. Brown, I speak in Russian language, and my son, David, uh, he was with you in uh, uh, Israel on February, and he okay. brought the book, book like The Seven Secrets of the Real Messiah, Yes. and uh, um, when I read, I just uh, failed to translate and I translate, actually, in Russian language. And my question is, is it okay with you? I will distribute in Russian, uh, Messianic, uh, Jewish, Russian-speaking Jewish people in the San Diego and L.A. If you don't mind, I will distribute your uh, book, but I translate yeah. it in, re- in Russian. Yeah, so first, it's wonderful you've done that. So So glad to hear that. What we just need you to do, though, Nina is, uh, can you can you just write this down? Sure. Uh, okay, uh, we just need you to email us with your information so we can give you official permission and then also know uh, know who you are if, if we need copies of the translation. But just write to uh, info. Actually, yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. I, actually, I send you email also. Okay. I send it, I send it today, the email, but I received the uh, I repl- uh, somebody replied and said it's better to call you, and that is why I called you. <laughs> okay, got it. All right, so we'll 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 follow through on our end then, and just send you something uh, official. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure uh, how that happened, but but in any case, you know, we'll we'll make sure that we've got your official contact info. But that's great. Let's get the word out, however we can. 
All right. Thank yeah, you for your interest. It's only only one mistake in the emails. It's instead of says Erev uh, Shabbat, we have on a Friday Erev Shabbat uh, with the Russian speaking Jews, and uh, um, it says the Yerevan somehow. I don't know. <laughs> it's Got it. Wrong. Okay, we'll we'll work it out. All right. God bless you, Nina, and thanks so much. Thanks. Say hi to your son too. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. God bless. You know, it's 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 a really neat thing when I'll look sometimes and, and see stacks of, of books that are the different translations of our books over the years. It's, it's a humbling thing. But you think, wow, who knows who's reading it? Who knows who it's reaching? What impact it's making? Uh, I was just, uh, I saw links. I was copied. And uh, it's, it's our Ask Me Anything broadcast that we do for God TV. And our torchbearers can watch exclusively on our, on our website, uh, five minutes a day answering different questions and it was the hindi version and the tamil version so there it is me speaking and someone's dubbing it in in hindi and, and tamil and we've had other stuff dubbed in russian or with captions in russian and hebrew that's that's a great blessing 866-34-TRUTH uh let's go to Col- uh, colin in nebraska welcome to the line of fire hey dr brown how are you today doing well thank you man it's really cool to be to uh you know, thank you for taking my call. I'm, I'm really, my joy. Uh, my joy. You know, anyway, um, sorry, I'm stumbling over my words. That's so, all right. Uh, We're good. Just the uh, two of us talking. <laughs> cool. I have a, I have a question about uh, Hebrews 9.28. Um, just, uh, just a brief um, uh, background to, to why I'm asking about this. Um, the, if you've heard of the World Mission Society, Church of God, mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it's a Korean cult group. Um, who's, who believes in the modalists, and they believe that um, Christ has already come um, a second time, except um, except instead of coming as the Son, as he did um, at his first advent, he's now come in bodily form as the bodily manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Um, mm-hmm. And and this this guy's name um, that who who's taken who who is um, made Christ by them. I don't I don't believe he actually ever. Uh, made himself Christ, but this this cult group who has millions of members worldwide um, has dubbed him the Second Coming Christ, as they call it. His name is An Sun Hong, um, and they're mm-hmm. making inroads in, at college campuses and stuff. And so my wife has run into some of them, and and I've and so we've actually been meeting with them regularly. Um, and and so, but but it's confusing. And anyway, you should you, they're really uh, they're really nice folks, but they're they're in a cult. You know they they don't believe in um, they don't believe in Jesus um, the the true Jesus um, right. as we know him anyway and so they would uh, they would they believe almost in three comings th- that he came his first time um, he was uh, the word was made flesh and uh, the father became the son right the modalist um, and that in Hebrews nine twenty eight when it says so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. They would believe that his second coming as this guy um, was to institute other things, but that he didn't come in judgment. And so they want to say that, um, anyway, my main question is, like, we're, um, I, I know that he only comes, he only comes twice. He came 
2,000 years ago, and he's right. coming again. T- tell you what, to, I've, I've got to um, jump in just because I've only got a minute okay. before we're out of time. That's fine. Num- number one, the biggest thing that you need to do with these folks is really introduce them to the Savior. In other words, they're part of a cult. They must have a works righteousness mentality. They cannot possibly know forgiveness of sins, intimacy with God the way we do. So that's the biggest thing, to really press their own sin, their own need for salvation, their own need for a truly born-again, life-transforming experience. Then the other thing I would do is, is, if you just look, every time there's a reference to the Lord appearing, we're waiting for his appearing, it is the end-time culmination of, of all things. Uh, when he appears, uh, we are going to be like him, First John 3, 2. The Lord will give us the crown of righteousness at his appearing. That's what we're looking for at 2 Timothy 4, 8. Uh, we are told to live a certain way, the, the rich living a certain way, keep the command and staying and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. Uh, all should live like that. Look up every verse that references his appearing, all right? When the chief shepherd appears, 1 Peter 5, 4, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And you want to show, hey, look, this hasn't happened yet. This hasn't happened yet. The appearance we're waiting for hasn't happened. And then go to Matthew 24. When anyone says, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, don't listen, don't follow, because many false Christs and false messiahs will rise up, just like a, a previous one from Korea, Reverend Sung Young Moon. Whatever it is about Korean spirituality, it can be very devoted, it can be very sincere, it can be very passionate, and then it can follow these false leaders that bring a lot of destruction. But bottom line, if you can really get to the root of the issue, they don't know the Lord. They haven't been born from above. They don't know what it is to have their sins forgiven. All right, friends, in five minutes, we're going to start on YouTube. Ask Dr. Brown, Ask Dr. Brown on YouTube, answering your YouTube questions in an exclusive YouTube live chat.